0: Lighthouse Christian camp for the widow's ministry and I could just tell by talking to him this morning he's very excited about it but this man has devoted his life to service he's been pastoring since 1987 in Ohio Michigan and Florida and he's even spent some time in China uh, training house pastors so he knows what sacrifice is so so give a good old Bible Baptist welcome to Doug his wife Janice here with us as well Janet I'm sorry Uh, it's great to have him and his wife and his family so Uh, Doug, you come preach to us, brother. Well, it's uh, certainly good to be here today. Uh, You know, as we were singing that song, Trusting Jesus, I, I enjoy that hymn. It's a hymn that we've sung for years in church. And it struck me that we've got some folks in this church who trust Jesus. And you know why I say that? Because you don't know me from Adam. You, could, you, you really could be getting a pig in the poke here this morning uh, by inviting me. But uh, what a privilege and honor it is to be here. Uh, Brother Darren uh, introduced uh, me uh, and he went ahead and introduced my wife. I'm glad he did that. Uh, because earlier this week, Janet said, Now, I want to tell you something. She said, When you get up to preach, I don't want you to introduce me. She said, At the end of the service, when you're through preaching, if I go like this, you can introduce me. If I go like this, I don't want anything to do. (laughs) She was joking, of course. She and I have been married for 53 years, be 54 in December. God has blessed us. Our oldest son, Brad... uh, came along and uh, he's now a career missionary in Central Asia. And uh, when Brad was born, uh, we were delighted. We really were to have a child. We'd been married eight years before Brad came along and what a blessing that was. But you know, it just wasn't quite right. And so we had a second one and that's Steve and it is through Steve that we've Had the privilege of meeting the entire Ford family, and uh, I've gotten to know Amy and Maddie and uh, Sophie, and uh, they're very special to us because they're special to our son, Steve. But Steve was born, and it still just wasn't quite right. And then about two and a half years later, something like that, along came Jennifer, our daughter, and we said, now we got it right. (laughs) And so... We have three, and we're blessed to have those, and what a privilege it is to be here today. Thank you uh, so much for inviting me. If you have your copy of God's Word, and I certainly hope that you do, turn with me to the book of Colossians in the New Testament. You'll find Colossians right after Philippians. Some of you know that. I'm amazed at how many uh, churches I'm in where people do not know where books of the Bible are, but... uh, Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. And once you've turned there, if you would stand with me as we honor the reading of the Word of God. I probably ought to put these on so I can see what I'm reading. Beginning with verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 17. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, Filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore... "...as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. May we go to him in prayer. Our Father, we come before you today to thank you for the opportunity to gather in this place. Father, we thank you that in this nation we can gather freely. We can worship you. We can lift our voice in praise without fear of retribution. Father, we thank you for the blessing of that. We thank you for the opportunity that we have together. Now, Father, as we open your word, I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts, our minds that we might understand and our hearts that we might be willing to apply what it is that we read and hear this morning. Father, I pray that you would take the speaker, hide him behind the cross and speak through him the words you'd have this your people to hear. And Father in it all, and through it all, may Christ be lifted up and glorified, and may each of us be drawn closer to him as a result of our time together in worship this morning. And Father, in all things, we'll not forget to give you the praise, for it's in the precious, holy, and wonderful name of Jesus that we come before you and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Colossians is a special book, really. I, I enjoy reading it, studying it, preaching from it. Paul wrote this, of course, to the church at Colossae, and he was writing it to address some issues. And virtually every letter that Paul wrote was written for that purpose, among others. In this case, he's also written to encourage the believers. Every one of these folks in the church in Colossae had either come out of pagan worship, idolatry, and the the things that were involved in that, or they'd come out of the Jewish faith. And Christianity was new at this point, and they didn't understand all that was involved, in particular the freedom that came through Christ. And so Paul wrote to encourage them, to lift them up, to strengthen them in their faith. But he also wrote to give them some practical ways in which they could live out their faith and be an example in the world in which they were living. As we study the book of Colossians, you'll find that among other things, Paul does probably one of the most thorough treatments of the deity of Christ that you'll find anywhere in the New Testament. If you look in verse 13 of chapter 1, he's talking about, he says, who hath delivered or rescued us from the power of darkness and hath translated or transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And then he goes on, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? And then in verse 19, he talks about the fact that God was pleased to fully dwell in the presence and person and body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verse 26, he talked about the mystery that was revealed, which was the fact that Christ came not just to the Jewish people, but to Gentiles as well. And he talks about all of this. And then he says in verse 12 of chapter 2, you're buried with Christ in baptism, you're raised to walk in a new life with Him. And he said in verse 6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so also walk in Him. Well, that's the lead, that leads up to chapter 3, because he says, walk in Christ. And I'm sure a lot of these people stood back and said, What does that mean? How do I walk in Christ? And so Paul began with chapter 3. He says, if ye then be risen with Christ. And by the way, the sense there is more along the lines of since you have been, because he's writing to the believers in Colossae. But since you have been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Well, I read that. I read that. And I'm reminded of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where Paul says, Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so Paul goes on to talk about how this transformation takes place. And he uses the metaphor of putting off and putting on. Now in my ministry, I had the opportunity on several occasions to visit the county jail. Not that my people were all the time in jail, but there were opportunities to visit there. And I noticed that every time I went, the prisoners, the folks in jail, had prison clothes on. Most of the time, an orange jumpsuit. And they would wear, you've all probably seen work crews out on the road. What do they wear? They wear clothes that identify them as a prisoner. And it's interesting to me that they wear those clothes while they're in prison. Have you ever seen a prisoner, person who spent time in jail, take that jumpsuit home and wear it with him around the house? Or wear it with him out in public? Absolutely not, because no one who is no longer in prison wants to be identified as a prisoner. And Paul is using that metaphor and saying, stop being identified with the world. Stop wearing the clothes of the world. Let's put on the clothes of Christ. Let's let God dress us so that when we come in contact with people in the world, they see us, they recognize who we are, and they say, that person is a follower of Jesus. And so Paul gives us some practical Uh, steps of what to do and he goes in verse set your affection on things above and then he says what are those well look at verse 5 he says mortify or kill or put to death those things which were part of your earthly nature fornication now that word fornication is a translation of the word pornea from which we get pornography You understand what we're talking about there. It has to do with any uh, sexual sin or immorality. And then he says uncleanness. Uncleanness primarily refers to uh, loose or luxurious living, living that is uh, uh, designed to satisfy ourselves instead of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God that lives in us. And then he goes on after that. Inordinate affection. That's lust. Lust. Bottom line, desires which dishonor the person who uh, exhibits them as well as the Lord Jesus Christ. And then evil concupiscence. Concupiscence is the idea of very strong desire. That word in and of itself is not bad, but when you put evil in front of it, now we're talking about those things which are evil, always desiring bad stuff. And you know, we live in a world where that's pretty rampant. I read the news and I look and it's like, what of the Ten Commandments aren't being broken in our nation almost every day? Evil desires are rampant. Brother Darren talked about the fact that we serve at Lighthouse Christian Camp. And while summer camp's going on, while Janet and I are directors of the widow's ministry, we're very active in the camp. And this last week in a meeting, I found out that A man and his wife, they're separated, they may be divorced, I'm not sure, but the man found out that the mother intended to send her child, her son, to Lighthouse Christian Camp for a week of camp. He took her to court saying, you cannot send my son to a Christian camp. And he won. So they had to withdraw their son from camp this next week. That's just one example of what we live, the evil desires, wanting the stuff of the world, the things that the world spouts and preaches. Paul said, get rid of that. Kill that. Put it away. And he also talked about other things here. He says, covetousness. I noticed the Ten Commandments over here. Do you see that? Thou shalt not covet is the tenth one. But it's interesting to me that covetousness will lead you to break the other nine. Because a covetous person is someone who always wants something they don't have, wants something that others have. A covetous person will dishonor God, they'll take God's name in vain, they'll lie, they'll steal, they'll cheat, they'll commit, do whatever they can to get what they want. And he says covetousness is idolatry and the reason for that is we're putting those things we want in the place of God in our lives. Do we as church members commit any of those sins? Well, I would hope not, but when it comes to covetousness, I'm afraid More often than we like to admit we do. Covetousness really is this idea of always wanting more. Of never being satisfied. You know, Paul said, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I'm in. And if you're not content, you better be looking at your heart. Because covetousness can easily put things above God in your life. Paul says, put these away. You know, here's what it boils down to desire leads to deeds, appetite leads to consumption. David, over in Psalm 51, said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That should be the prayer of every Christian every day. Because it should be our desire to clean our, let the Lord clean our heart so that we put off the grave clothes, we put off the prison clothes so that God can dress us the way He wants us to be dressed. So he named those sins. I'm calling those sensual sins. And then he goes to what we might call social sins. Social sins. And I'm reminded of uh, the story that uh, Dr. Warren Wearsby tells. He was preaching a series on the sins of the saints. And he preached several sermons already, and he came to Colossians chapter 3, and he was preaching this one. And after the service, he's greeting people as they leave. And one of the senior saints walked up and said, Brother Wearsby, that was a wonderful sermon this morning, but I really think you ought to be preaching it to the lost. He said, after all, sin in the life of a Christian is different. To which Dr. Wearsby replied, it certainly is. It's worse. It's worse. We need to set those things aside. And so Paul talks now about social sins. Anger, wrath, and malice are listed there. And uh, those really sort of go together. We all know what anger is. Wrath is the idea of a sudden outburst of anger that leads to uh, uncontrollable behavior and oftentimes results in words or actions that are unbecoming of a Christian and for which we end up being sorry. Malice is ongoing, ill will toward someone else. Paul said, put those aside. And then he mentions blasphemy. And blasphemy here is not using the name of the Lord in vain, because Paul's talking about different things. He didn't seem to be talking about that, but rather speech which defames or tears others down. And so as I thought about it this week, the idea of malicious gossip, I think, communicates what Paul is trying to say better. And I suppose, and I don't know anything about this church, but in the church I've pastored, I don't suppose there's any sin more prevalent than gossip. And I've told people, they, you know, I don't want to hear that, that's gossip, and they say, Well, it's the truth. I don't care if it's the truth. Are you building someone up? If you're putting them down, it's gossip. If you've got a problem, go to that brother. That's what the uh, Scriptures say. We need to stop talking about one another and start talking to one another and lifting one another up. That's how we build the body of Christ. That's how we look different to a world that is lost. Blasphemy. And then he goes on. Filthy communication. You know what that is? Foul speech, coarse humor, obscene language. It's amazing to me how some people think it's okay to involve themselves in coarse humor. And I've heard some people say something they shouldn't say. And then they say, oh, excuse my French. That's got no place in the heart and life of a believer. I remember, this is quite some time ago now, probably 20 years or more. Our church was looking at uh, having a pictorial directory made. And so I called one of the companies and they sent a salesman out. And we're talking. He gave me prices and all of this. And, and he said, well, here, I'm going to leave a copy of a directory we've done. You can show this to your folks. You can see the quality, blah, blah, blah. So he left it. I thanked him and shook hands. And he left. And a little bit later... I'm thumbing through that. Now, all of my ministry, I was a bivocational pastor because I pastored small churches on the east side of Cincinnati and a small church on the east side of Cincinnati. And uh, so I go through that. And about the third page is a picture of the deacons. And I'm reading through that. And there on that page was a gentleman who was manager of cost accounting, At the company where I worked, I'd worked with him closely for three or four years. Never even suspected he was a believer. The language that man used would rival the best sailor that ever sailed the seas. And he was a deacon in a church 10 miles from us. It's no wonder people end up calling us hypocrites when we act so different than what we're telling people we should be. Excuse me, Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech be always seasoned with grace. Seasoned with salt. Salt was a symbol of purity and that's how our speech should be. Then Paul lists lying. And, of course, that's any misrepresentation of the truth. An old proverb says half a fact is a whole lie, so we need to be careful what we say. But these are the things that Paul says put off. Stop living like that. Stop acting like that. But he doesn't just leave it hanging there. He says, here are the things I think you need to put on. And these things are a display of the grace of God in our lives. We need to understand that we cannot, we do not do anything that pleases God apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, verse 12, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Now we need to think about that for just a moment. The elect of God. Paul saying you've been chosen by God then holy, you've been separated by God, and then beloved, you're loved by God. Paul says that ought to be your motive for putting on these clothes that bring honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that God chose you, loved you, saved you, and brought you out of the darkness into the light. And so then he lifts bowels of mercy. Bowels of mercy... Literal Greek is bowels of compassion and it's really talking about tenderness and kindness and gentleness toward others. And then kindness, humbleness of mind or humility. You know, I was thinking about humility. There's not a lot of humility in our world today and unfortunately that sort of thinking of pride is uh, uh, seeping into our churches. Now, humility... Someone once said, isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's putting others first. Paul said, put on humility. Put on that which sees others as important and steps back for your own desires so that they can be ministered to. Humility, meekness, that's just controlling our words, our actions. Meekness isn't being a doormat. Meekness is controlling our emotions, our thoughts, our actions. So that everything we say and do brings honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is not easy, and I'm not going to stand up here and tell you it is. In fact, the only way you're going to do it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. You do not have the desire, you do not have the capability, you do not have anything in you in the natural man that causes you to want to put others first, love others, be kind to others, be humble in and of yourself. Long-suffering. And long-suffering is just simply patience. It, it's literally, if we translate it literally, literally, it'd be long-temper. So it's patience. Forbearing one another, holding one another up, forgiving one another. And then verse 14, And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfection. Love is sort of the belt that ties it all together. And allows these other spiritual qualities to grow. When we truly put on the love of Christ, it becomes the motivation for all we do. Now we need to understand that the love we're talking about here is not an emotion. It's a choice. It's a decision. I don't have to like someone to love them. Rick Warren has a wonderful phrase. He says, you know, there are people in our churches that he calls EGR people. Extra grace required. You probably know some of those folks. They require a little bit of extra grace. And then we're all made with different personalities. We don't all get along real well. But that's okay. Because God made you unique, He made me unique, He has a plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, uh, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you hope, plans not to harm you. God's got a plan for your life. He made you the way you are to fulfill that plan. So you're made the way God wanted you to be made. I'm made the way God wanted me to be made. And if you and I rub each other the wrong way, that does not mean we can't work together. If we put on humility, if we put on meekness, we can still serve the Lord together because we're serving the same master. Love ties it all together. And then he says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. How many of you have read that verse before? Raise your hand. Have you ever thought about what that means? Well, first of all, the word that is translated rule would probably be translated today as umpire. Let the peace of God umpire in your hearts. Okay, so what does that mean? That means that when... You come to a point of having to make a choice. The choice that creates peace in your own heart, the choice that creates peace in your family, the choice that creates peace in your church is the choice you make. Not because you necessarily want to, but because peace rules in your heart. It's the umpire, it's the judge. And I got to thinking this, what kind of difference would it make if in every church member, every believer in this nation, all of a sudden we all put off all these old clothes and we dressed ourselves in the clothes of righteousness that Jesus wants to give us and we went out into a world and began to talk to them. Scripture says... By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. I I read the high priestly prayer of Jesus on the night that he was crucified. And if you can read that, without tears coming to your eyes, there's something wrong. Because as Jesus knelt there, facing the cross and the pain, and the suffering. He prayed for his disciples then, and he prayed for you and I today. And he prayed that unity would rule because he knew what disunity would do to the witness of the church. I've heard of churches that split over which side of the sanctuary to put the piano on. I've heard of churches that had huge fights over which carpet to put in. You know what? When I was in China, they met in a room that most of the Sunday school rooms in this church would probably be at least as big or bigger and it would be packed and there would be a total of three chairs. You know where everybody sat? On the floor in the winter with no heat and they were happy to be there. One night I'm teaching the house church pastors and I looked through the utility room into the bathroom and there was a young man sitting clothed on the toilet because it's the only place he could sit and he didn't want the time together to end. What if we acted like that? What difference do you think it would make in a world that is looking for excuses not to believe because they're blinded to the truth by the father of lies? And all we do is add to their argument when we bicker and argue and live in the grave clothes of the past instead of allowing God to dress us in the clothes of Jesus Christ. Because after all, that's what we're talking about here, folks. God's purpose in your life and my life is to make us like his son. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the work. You know, when God created man, he created them or formed them in the image of himself. He gave us a soul, an eternal soul. And then Satan came along and man sinned and that image was deformed by sin. And we have the opportunity to be transformed back into that original form through the righteousness and shed blood of Jesus Christ. And folks, I've come to the point that I believe we can preach and we can teach, we can do all these things till we're blue in the face. But until we get serious about dressing in the clothes of the Lord Jesus Christ so that when the world looks at us, they say, there goes a believer. We had a young man who was raised in what I would call the most dysfunctional family I've ever seen. I'm not going to go into details because I don't have time to go into the details, but what time they did go to church they went to a catholic church bob became friends with our son steve who's the uh, and and started coming to our house of course i was working and pastoring and so most of the time he was talking to janet but she began to share the bible at one year at christmas we bought him a bible began to share and he came to know the lord jesus christ and the transformation in that young man was incredible from going home at lunch to drink his lunch because nobody was home. He, in that little community, kids were allowed to leave the school campus for lunch. To taking his Bible to school and telling others about Jesus. He was changed like you wouldn't believe. And one day we're talking to him and he said, you know what really got to me? He said, I listened to Janet and you once in a while talking. And he said, but I came to understand... That when you all talked about what God's Word said, you really believed it and you tried to live it. There is no witness more powerful than dressing in the righteousness of Christ, putting off the old man and just living that life before the world. They will see it And they will want what you've got. This young couple, having a few problems in their marriage, and they decided they needed to do something together. And so after doing a little bit of reading and that sort of thing, somehow or the other, they came to the conclusion that duck hunting would bring them together. Now, they were city folks, so they didn't know anything about duck hunting, but they'd read that if you want to go duck hunting, you've got to have a hound dog. So they went out and bought a well-trained, very expensive hound dog. And then they figured out, well, we need some clothes, so they brought waders and camouflage clothes and that sort of thing. And after they got all that together, Saturday came and they went out dunk hunt- duck hunting. And after all day of not catching, not getting a duck in any way, shape, or form. The husband's sort of like this, and he says, Honey, we must be doing something wrong. We haven't gotten one duck all day long. She said, Well, I've been thinking. And she said, The next time we go hunting, if you throw the dog up higher, he might be able to catch a duck. What's the point of that story? We've been trying to throw the dog up instead of using the gun that we've been given. And what's the gun? This and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. If we're working and striving and stressing and worn to the bone and nothing is happening, maybe we need to understand that we reach a world through a life that imitates and demonstrates the power of Christ in our lives. I believe that most churches today, I'm going to say evangelical churches, are really good at declaring a word. Now, i got to say, Janet and I did a fair amount of traveling. I retired, uh, at least I thought I was going to retire in 2017. The Lord had different plans. But we did quite a bit of traveling and we visited a number of churches. And you're all seated, but you might still find this hard to believe. We have attended churches where the name of Jesus was not mentioned one time and when Scripture wasn't read at all. The way we change is to get into this Word so that this Word gets in us. And as this Word gets in us, the Holy Spirit begins to work and transform and generate the power that we need to put off the old and put on the new. So a lot of churches are good at declaring the faith. And then there are a lot of Christians who at the drop of a hat Want to defend the faith. They'll argue till the cows come home. Most people really don't care what you have to say. They really don't. We want to declare and we want to defend. But there's a third D that is absolutely vitally important. We need to demonstrate the truth in our lives. We need to let Christ transform us. We need to take off the grave clothes. What was the first thing Jesus said when he called Lazarus from the grave? Loose him and let him go. Get rid of those grave clothes. You ever thought about the fact that when Jesus arose from the dead, where did he leave the grave clothes? In the tomb. He didn't need them anymore. We need to leave those grave clothes behind. If we're really... Buried with Him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Leave those grave clothes behind. Don't be wearing a prison jumpsuit in the community. Wear the clothes of Christ so that people see Jesus in you. You know, none of this is easy. We're trying to do things in our own power and own authority. But the last thing Paul talks about... And I want to briefly close with this. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That means that the word of Christ should be at home in your heart. Dwell means feeling at home. It can't feel at home unless you read it, study it, memorize it, and try to apply it. And then verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, names don't mean today what they used to mean. Names back then spoke to the character of a person. Today we just name people names we like. But if you do things in the name of Jesus, what does that mean? It means you do them as a representative of Jesus, number one. Number two, if you really do things in the name of Jesus, you do it with the authority of Jesus. The Great Commission... All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do everything in the name of Jesus. So this morning I've got one last question. Do you do everything in the name of Jesus. Those of you who are still working if you're doing everything in the name of Jesus you should be the best employee your employer has you should be the best mother you can be you should be the best father you can be you should be the best grandparent you can be because you should be saying am I doing it like Jesus would do it am I doing it that in a way that brings honor and glory to Him? And am I doing it in a way that I am a positive reflection on the Lord Jesus Christ? So he says, put on all these things, which are closely akin to the fruits of the Spirit, we find in Galatians chapter 5. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and then do everything you do in the name of Christ. we often wonder why our neighborhoods and communities are literally destroying themselves. We need to be careful how we live. Instead of joining with them, we're to be holy and separate. So I want to encourage you. Commit today to putting on the clothes of God. Let Him dress you. Let Him prepare you for the plan He has for your life. I can tell you from experience, you're not going to do it perfectly. None of us do. But every day that you try is a day that you'll get better and you will never, ever regret putting on the clothes of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the time that You've given us this morning, for the opportunity that has been ours to come into Your presence as we look into this third chapter of Colossians and we see the things we need to put off. Father, search our hearts and help us to see what You see. Help us not to be defensive and say, I do this and I don't do this. But help us, Father, to see ourselves as you see us. And help us to turn from those things. Help us to set aside those grave clothes. Help us to turn to you. To be willing to put on the clothes of the new man. The clothes of righteousness. The clothes of Jesus. Help us, Heavenly Father, that our lives might truly be a representation of you before a world that is lost. Father, speak to each person this morning. and Whatever decision we need to make, I pray that right now in these moments of invitation, we might come to you. We might turn over to you all of our lives and allow you to dress us that we might be who you mean us to be in a world that desperately needs the truth. Father, we love you and we praise you and we pray that the Lord Jesus Christ is lifted up and glorified in each of our hearts and lives today. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we come before you and ask these things. Amen.